Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. First John chapter number three, if you get your Bibles, we'll read verse number 20. The Bible says, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, praise God for that, and knoweth all things. When you read this verse, you would come up away with saying, yeah, God knows all things. Why? Well, because the Bible says he knows all things, right? It's a pretty simple and easy read. But look at verse number 19, and I want to get some context of the things that God knows specifically in the context of this verse. Look at verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth. So this would have to be speaking of Christians, because if you're not a Christian, uh, you're not in the truth. <laughs> That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And shall assure our hearts before him. You see that? Shall assure our hearts. Verse number 20, we already read it, but it says, if our heart condemn us. Verse number 21, it says, again, beloved, if our heart condemn us. Um, I think it's verse, back up a little bit. I'll find it when my eyes get there. Okay, verse number 15, look at this. It says, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. We got, when, when God gave the Ten Commands, he said, thou shalt not kill, right? Well, what do we see in the New Testament? Man, if I hate my brother, I'm a murderer. According to God, you are. According to God, I am. Well, how do you hate your brother? It's hard. It's hard. You don't punch him in the nose. But in your heart, God calls you a murderer. So the context of 1 John chapter 3 is the heart. God knows all things concerning the Heart. Uh, go to Acts chapter number one. We'll see something else. Acts chapter number one, and look at verse number twenty-four. Acts one. Uh, and, and here there. Uh, so verse twenty-three, and they appointed two Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, "Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men." Show whether of these two thou hast chosen. What I want to draw your attention to just in this verse is that what is what is the Lord knowing? The Lord is knowing the heart. Now, what is we all know Jeremiah 17, 9, not the term there. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, I can't know my heart. You can't know my heart. I can't know your heart. You can't know your heart. But God knows hearts. God sure does. So we have to be careful that our own hearts don't deceive us. Now, what does this world system tell us to do? Follow who? Not God. Trust your heart. They tell you to trust your heart. And you know what we're going to put on our T-shirt? Trust Jesus. <laughs> you don't want to trust your heart. That's the worst thing you can do. Trust Jesus Christ. And his indwelt Holy Spirit will dwell in you. And now you can yield to that guiding and be led by the Spirit of God 
instead of led by your own heart, which is it's deceitful. So the context of 1 John chapter 3 is that God knows all things concerning the heart. He's greater than our heart. Everybody see that? Uh, how does God know the heart? Now, you know this. When we turn to the verses, you're going to say, yeah, no, I, I, I know this. We all know this. First Chronicles 28. Let's go back there and look at the Old Testament. How does God know the heart? First Chronicles chapter 28. And the Bible says in verse 9, First Chronicles uh, chapter number 28. Get past first and second Kings, and you'll come to Chronicles. The ninth verse says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart. And with a willing mind. And in that principle, the same nowadays, if you're going to serve the Lord, if I'm going to serve the Lord, what is that connected to? Our hearts and our mind being submitted to his will. Well, I want to do this and I want to do that. I got this idea and I got this idea. And God says, I got a better idea. And then it says, For the Lord searcheth. All hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Now I get two things in here. And to simply answer the question, how does God know the heart? What does the Bible tell us he does? He searches it. He searches it. That's how he knows the heart. And then it says, if thou seek him, but doesn't the Bible says there's none that seeketh God? So how do you reconcile those verses that seem to say one thing? And then people create a system of theology around that. And, and this world is so good at cherry picking verses and building a system of theology around a verse or two. So if the Bible says there's none that seeketh after God. How do you reconcile a verse like this and other verses that says, seek God? Well, we see the principle right here in the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all imaginations of the thoughts. Who's the initiator? God is. Take away God. Take away the initiation of God. And you're right. No man will seek after God. But First Chronicles 28 says God initiates, God searches your heart, and as a result, now you can know him. You can seek him. You can choose him. You can. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is real. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me that the Pentecostals and all these strange outfits come up with strange doctrines concerning the Holy Spirit. That doesn't bother me a bit because I know what the Bible says about it. <laughs> we can't shy away from the Holy Spirit because some groups just mess the whole thing up. So God says, I'll just read you a few. Well, why don't we turn there so you can get your eyeballs on it too. Psalm 44. Psalm 44. 
usually if my glasses aren't bent, I can get to all the verses the right way. But I like these glasses. They just, they're bendable and I see different let, no, letters and numbers that shouldn't be there. Cause the, but so far they haven't bent. So I think we should be in Psalm 44. <laughs> Verse number 21, here it is. Shall not God, Psalm 44, 21. Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. How? Well, the Bible tells us God will search this out. He'll search the heart. Go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Bible says in verse number 23. Search the other person, oh God. <laughs> That's what we wanted to say. But it says, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Man, let's look at that lost and dying world, Lord. I mean, just search them. They're so wicked. We're so good. And no. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. How does God know the heart? He searches. He searches. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Get past Isaiah and you'll come to Jeremiah. We'll be in the 17th chapter. We already read verse 9. Verse number 10 comes after. Who can know it? And the answer comes back. Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. How does he know it? He searches it. I try the reins given to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. The Lord knows the heart because he searches it. A lot of what's in your heart, a lot of what's in my heart, we may be able to hide through a variety of human vices. But eventually, at some level, that fruit is going to be produced of who you are and who I am. And that's what our Christian life, we all heard of the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> You know what has to happen to fruit? It has to produce. It has to produce. And God expects us not to be saved. We're saved, right? If you've trusted Christ, you're saved. You should say, amen, at least in your heart. God expects fruit to be produced. So that's how God knows the heart. He searches John 21 and Mark 13. John 21. Mark 13. John 21 will do first. This is Peter in verse. We'll be in verse number 17. John 21. Uh, here's what Peter says. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. So Peter here is saying, Jesus, Lord, you know it all. Now let's go to Mark chapter 13. 
Mark chapter 13, verse number 32. Here's what Jesus says about knowing all things. Verse 32, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man. Well, that's something men can't know. No, not the angels. Well, that's something angels can't know. Which are in heaven, neither the Son. Well, that's something the Son of God can't know. <laughs> but the Father. So how do you reconcile that verse with 1 John 3, knoweth all things, and John 21, 17, when Peter says, Lord, thou knowest all things. Some people will say here in Mark chapter 13, it just means, it just means that Jesus didn't make known the day. But that's not what the verse says. It says, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. So if the Father made the day known, where did he make it known? <laughs> if the Father knows, what it doesn't fit. And people say, well, it just means that Jesus didn't know, you know, he just didn't make known the day. Well, it says that the Father knows the day. So if you're going to use that interpretation, you got to show me in the Bible where the Father made it known. We don't see in the Bible where it did. So that's something that Jesus didn't know. I want to start stop park right here because this is where we get into basically there's two fundamental philosophies when men and women come to the Bible. The first philosophy is when we come to a verse like Mark, uh, where it seems to say something that's hard for us to swallow, we say. Well, that's not what it really means. <laughs> In other words, the philosophy is we go to the Bible, but we're ready to correct, amend, and to change the Bible to fit what our human reasoning says. And that's a, that's a dangerous spot to be in. The other philosophy is the camp that we're in, which says we believe that God promised to preserve his word. We can hold it in our hand. We're going to read it. Believe what it says, even if we don't understand it, and allow the Bible to amend us, allow the Bible to correct us, allow the Bible to change us. But this lukewarm Laodicean church has flipped it and says, well, we'll just change it to suit our fancy. And that's how you get, but you know, your, your mind racking just like mine is. That's how you get into all the mess. Not you, but, you know, us as a, People group happen to live in this mess of a world. Peter was wrong about the Lord. The Lord has unlimited power, but in his unlimited power, he has chosen to limit his knowledge. Now, you try that. You try that. We see in the Bible, the Lord says, remember no more and sins and iniquities and all that. Are you saved? If you're saved, you know what you got saved out of. And wouldn't it be great to have the power to be able to limit your knowledge? <laughs> and you won't even really be able to give your testimony because I don't even know what I did that was wrong because I'm... <laughs> I mean, that's some power right there. 
as I'm talking about this, I'm remembering some of the stupid stuff I did before I got saved. And I wish I was powerful enough to be able to limit my knowledge to say, I don't even know what I did. <laughs> but God has that type of power. So when you do a message on the knowledge of God and you say that God doesn't know all things because he tells us in his word there are some things he doesn't know, you're not trying to lessen the character of God. You're actually magnifying the power of God because it takes more power to be able to do that. And that's what God, that's what God has chosen to do. He has chosen to limit his knowledge. In all four Gospels, Jesus said, thou shalt deny me thrice. And you know, this goes back to Acts 124 concerning Peter when it says, he knoweth the hearts of all men. The Lord's knowledge is completely divine knowledge. We all know that. We all understand that. And Jesus has the power to know everything he chooses to know. Go over to Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter 12. Let's open up another can of thoughts here. Luke chapter number 12. Look at the Bible says in verse number 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. People use this verse to talk about the knowledge of God. He certainly has far superior knowledge than any created being anywhere on the planet. But nowhere does this verse tell us that he knows everything. So we need to be careful. Now, it's all inspiring. The verse doesn't say he knows how. Not only does he know how many hairs are on your head, that's one level of knowledge. That's one level of divine inspiration. It'd be pretty cool if you knew your child so well that you'd be able to say, yeah, I know you have half a million hairs on your head. That's one thing. But with God, he knows how many and he has and he has those how many numbered. <laughs> that's a whole nother layer of intimate knowledge. And that's a whole nother layer of how much God loves you. <laughs> and we need to tell those people that. Look, God loves you. Now, we need to tell them the other side, too, so they can meld those two thoughts together. God loves. And he has an immense amount of knowledge. But people say, when you look, when you use these words, well, we just, we just need to be careful. Omniscience, omni, all. Omniscience is all knowing. Science, omniscience, science is to know or knowledge. Is God all knowing, omnipresent? Omni, all, present. Well, he's here. <laughs> so is God omniscient? Is God omnipresent? If you and I had ultimate knowledge, 
that would make us ultimately accountable. You ever start studying the Bible and you get one of your Christian friends that really isn't studying the Bible and you start telling them things and they say, I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. I got my one good friend of mine that I still talk to from New Jersey. He's like, just stop telling me things. I don't want to know anything else. Why? Because if you know it, now you're accountable for it. Right? We've all heard that, those types of sayings. If you know something's going to happen and you don't do anything about it, you're guilty. I don't think that's the character of God. If God is in control of everything, then he's responsible. God's not responsible for this wickedness. That's man's fault. Look at verse number 20, uh, 48 in Luke 12. If then God, verse 20, uh, no, 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 not that one. Okay, verse 48. Verse 48. See, I did it again. I got to get these glasses off. I read Luke 12. I have written down here Luke 12, 48. But the two went over to where the four was, and I said Luke 12, 28. But it's Luke 12, 48. But he that knoweth not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. You know something, you're responsible for it. God, God blesses you with money or God blesses you with talents. Much is required of that. He wants you to use what he has given you for his glory. This makes you and I accountable. Now let's let's do a verse for God's omnipresent. Uh, Luke 11. Go back one chapter. I hope you're staying with me. I hope I'm not giving you too much at one time. Luke 11. Verse number two. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, our, far, our Father, which art everywhere. But then say that it says our father, which art in heaven. Where's God the father? He's in the third heaven. Look at Genesis chapter number 11. Well, I don't know. I mean, I still think God is omnipresent. Okay, Genesis 11. Let's see. Right, it's important to run multiple verses, if not all the verses, so we can get the context. Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11, verse number one, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Man, there's some good preaching in there, but we just don't have time for it tonight. Verse number five. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men built it. Now, why would the Lord have to come down if he was already there, 
answer, he wouldn't have. I got to come down here and see what these fellows are doing. And so what did God do? He came down and came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men build it. Well, if he has all knowledge, if he's omnipresent, he wouldn't have to come down because he was already there. He could have seen everything that was happening. God is so powerful that he has chosen to limit his knowledge. Go over to Genesis 18. This is good here. Genesis 18 really gives a lot about this. Genesis 18, look at verse number 16. We'll read the verses. I think it'll be self-explanatory. Genesis 18, verse 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me. And if not, I will know. Well, you see, God already knew because he says that, um, you know, their, their sin is very grievous. But not really, because what went up? A cry went up. A cry went up. Look at verse number 21. I will go down now and see what I already see. Doesn't say that. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it. You see those, the last phrase right before the comma, according to what? The cry of it. There was a cry that went up to God and he heard this cry and he said, I've got to come down here and see for myself what in the world is going on. Look at verse 21 again. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to what I already know. See, it doesn't work that way either. God came down to see. Matthew 16, he says, Thou art Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. That's a future statement made by Jesus during his earthly ministry. And he says, I will do something. I will go down and I will see this for myself. And that's what he did. And that's what he did. Before he got down, he didn't know all that was going on. But the cry gave it away. Look at verse number 20. You see that? The cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. 
Watch it again in verse 21, according to the cry of it. Go back to chapter 19, or forward to chapter 9. Uh, where are we? Genesis 18. Go, uh, go Genesis 19, verse 13. We see it again. For we will destroy this place. Here it is again. Because the cry of them is waxen great. Wax to increase the suffix and is to make it's waxen. It's to make increasingly great. That's all that is. We don't have to be afraid of what people say are archaic words and then change the Bible. We just look the word up. That's that's all we do. But they say they're archaic words. Uh, it's funny because some of these other modern versions have archaic words, but they never say anything about that. So it seems to be a bias just to one Bible. But anyway, we're looking at the cry of it. And then another thing to point out, look at Genesis 18. Watch what else we can we can we can look at. Verse 26. And the Lord said, If I find. Look at verse 28. Right in the middle of the verse, and he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. We see it again in verse 30. And he said to him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak for adventure. There shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Why didn't the Lord just say, Look, I'm omnipresent, I'm omniscient, I already know? <laughs> he said, If Three times. I'm telling you, this cry went up. God came down. He couldn't believe what was going on. We need to be careful about theological terms that sound bible We just need to be careful in how we define it. If the, if the Lord was omniscient, he would have just, I know exactly how many righteous people are there. I know exactly. But he came down and we see if used. Three different times. Now, let's get back to the cry. Um, Genesis 4 and Hebrews 12. Genesis 4 and Hebrews chapter number 12. Genesis chapter number 4, we'll do first. Genesis 4 and Hebrews 12. Genesis 4, verse number 9, And the Lord said unto Cain, you all know the story, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. It's a weird verse, but it seems the earth was shamed and wanted to hide what has been done. But the cry of the blood goes up to the Lord. Now, Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 24. 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to God the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling. That speaketh better things than that of Abel. 
Abel's blood called for vengeance. The blood of Jesus was an atoning sacrifice. It was a blood of forgiveness. It was the precious blood of Christ. And the only way that our sins could be forgiven. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. It's a far, far better blood. It's an atonement for sin. It's not Christ seeking vengeance on you or vengeance on me or this lost and dying world. He's the perfect atoning sacrifice that died for the sins of the whole. He's crying out. Would you come to me? Would you trust me? Would you be washed in the blood? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, like we sang earlier. John 17. Do you know God? John chapter 17. John 17 verse number three. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. We talked about the knowledge of God. And a lot of that is you could call, well, that's theologic, that's theology, that's, man, that's an intense Bible study, that's, that's doctrine. Man, we can, we can study the Bible, we can learn the Bible, we can come away. In, in, in nine months to 12 months, we know a lot of doctrine. We know a lot of Bible stuff. Do you know God? You know how many people know things in the Bible, but they don't know God. That's why we ask people. Have you been born again? Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus? What does that mean? Well, let me tell you. Let me show you. Do you know God? Do you know God? And if you want revival in a town, it can start simply by you and I knowing God and having a passion for souls to come to know him. And after they come to know him, now they can learn doctrine and theology and all of that. Do you know God? If I came to your house, it would because it would be because I would want to meet with you. If you came to my house, it would because it would be because you would want to meet with me or my family. Why do people come to the church house on Sunday and they have no interest in knowing God? Or knowing the things of God. That doesn't make sense. I purchased my house. With my money. You purchased your house with your money. The Lord Jesus Christ purchased his. His house. His church. With his own blood. And we want to come in. And not get to know the God. Who, who bought us with a price. And that is the state of affairs that we are in in this Laodicean church. You come over to my house or I come over to your house and say, yeah, I'd like to borrow your lawnmower. I'd like to borrow your chainsaw and I'd like to have a free meal. 
Oh, no, I don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> I just want your stuff. People come in oh, oh, Sundays all over this world. They want, they want the big entertainment center. They want all the meals. They want all the trappings. They want all the activities for their kids. Can I tell you a little bit about Jesus? No, no, no. Get him out of here. They come to the Lord's house. They want stuff. They don't want to know the God. They don't want to know the God that created the stuff or owns the stuff or made all things. People don't know God. And that's the problem we have in American so-called Christianity. No interest in God. They want activities. They want programs. They want a family life center. They say they're for the family, but let's create another multi-million dollar facility to break up the family. <laughs> we just haven't played ball all day. I'm not against playing ball. I'm not against all that stuff. What I'm saying is we don't know God as a nation. And that's why we are in the mess that we're in. And if you want revival, it's not learning more doctrine or theology. It's really intimately knowing God and having a passion to do what he has commanded us to do. So what do you want? Baseball or Jesus? Basketball or Jesus? Jiu-Jitsu or karate or Jesus? Money or Jesus? Fame or Jesus? What do you want? What does this world want? We know. No coach ever says, you know what? I really don't want you fellas getting really too good at basketball. You know, just got to come and go when you want. Eat whatever you want to eat. You know, Twinkies and donuts. You know, Popeyes and Steak and Shake. Yeah, just a bit. You want to come practice late? No problem. I don't really care that you get good at martial arts or not. Just whenever you want to come, no big deal. I don't want you to get too good, okay? You think any business coach ever says, listen, whatever you do, just try not to make too much money. Nobody says that. All these Hollywood stars, all these movie stars, all of these fame those people, their agent never tells them, look, we're going to try to not really get you too famous because people might think you're a fanatic. Nobody does that in the world. Yet in Christianity, we are soaked in that film. Whatever you do, don't talk too much about that Jesus. Whatever you do, don't do too much evangelism. Whatever you do, let's talk about all this stuff. But can you just kind of leave the Jesus thing alone? No! It only occurs in Laodicean churchianity. That's the only place it occurs. And I'm submitting to you tonight, do we know God? Do we know God? Or do we just know things about God? People want to complain that they took the Bible out of the public schools. Well, that happened in 1963. It's been 10 years since you've done a, a family devotion and opened your Bible in your home. That's where we're at. That is where we're at, folks. It used to be in, in Brother Kelly's era and some of the senior saints, it used to be every Sunday people would have a Bible under their armpit going to church and none of them had a huge epicenter. You know what it was? It was the center where the saints would gather and they'd get some help throughout the week. And everything, the family functioned around family life, work life, and church life. Now we have a meal and we can't wait 
to get to whatever practice it is we have to get to. If you want after church, you just go drive down to the west side. Go ahead. Go to Ralph's Donuts. Get yourself a donut and a coffee. Go ahead. And then look across the street at the pub. That place is going to be pumping. It's going to be packed. They're all there after work. They can't wait to celebrate and worship together. And praise God and thank God that we are here. Thank him and praise him that we are here. And I don't want to be anywhere else. And I trust you feel the same way. We want to be with God's people. But when you look at the contrast of what we have, the Lord of glory, and what they have, it doesn't even run a close third, fourth, or fifth place. Do you know God? Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.